I'm making the the GitHub resume is bullshit face. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. I'm your co-host, Bridget Crumhout, at Bridget Crumhout on Twitter. And I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a company that figures, if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. 10th Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformation using cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at arresteddevops.com slash 10th Magnitude. This episode is also brought to you by Hired. Hired is a platform for top developer jobs, and they love DevOps people. Developers get an average of 5 to 10 offers on the platform, all with just one application. You'll get job offers and salary and equity upfront before you interview, so you don't have to waste your time interviewing for jobs that you might not want. And they work with over 4,000 companies, from startups to large public companies. And they have employers from 15 major tech hubs in North America, Europe, and Asia. Hired has full-time and contract opportunities, and it's totally free for candidates looking for jobs. Arrested DevOps listeners get double the $2,000 bonus, so that's $4,000, I guess, if you're not good at math, just for signing up at arresteddevops.com slash hired. So, oh no, you've been laid off or you've lost your sweet gig in some way. Uh, we're talking to a couple uh, returning guests on how to bounce back after a layoff or some other unexpected career shift. Yeah, and so one of these guests is Jill. Uh, Jill Jim- yeah, Jill Jobs or Jill Jabinski. Is that how I say it, Jill? Yep, Jabinski, you're good. Excellent. I just think of you as Jill Jobs or Hug Dispenser, you know. Um, but uh, she uh, she has legit squad goals and one might even call her the Taylor Swift of DevOps. More on that later. Um, and she's super good at escaping rooms, possibly in Portland. Um, but yeah, Jill, uh, Jill, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. So uh, hi, all. And thank you uh, for having me back. I, last time I was on here, I was living in New York and now I'm living in Seattle. So I just cross country kind of stuff going on. Um, but right now I am working at IBM. Uh, my title is kind of in flux, but basically, uh, technical community evangelist is kind of what we're calling it. Um, but I was brought on to build teams. So there's a recruitment piece to it for sure, but also from a community perspective, understand who's doing what in the industry, what industry trends are happening and create an overall genuine and caring uh, experience for all candidates and hiring managers to be brought onto my teams. We also have uh, Peter Burkholder joining us. And actually this episode was suggested by Peter. So Peter, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself for uh, returning listeners and uh, what, what kind of motivated this conversation? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I've uh, made a long and circuitous journey into DevOps. I'm formally trained as a geophysicist and went from running uh, lab networks to um, doing security for research lab to web engineering and finally in, in DevOps. And the, you know, the continuing thread through all, all these moves has been uh, trying to think experimentally about how I approach my work, making decisions based on data. And 
And then also realizing what we do is, is a profession. And thanks a lot to, to Usenix and Lisa Conferences for waking me up to that. But I did get laid off back at the end of April. And I'll just go ahead and say that I got laid off from Chef because people who went, you know, who look me up will find that. But I've been talking to a lot of their experiences, people's experiences about getting laid off. So anything I say does not necessarily reflect necessarily my personal experience. Um, it may either be mine or, or, or someone else's. Just wanted to, to throw that caveat in there. But as I was uh, going out, uh, finding my, my next gig, I realized that it's been a long time since there's been a major reset in the tech industry. And if you take seriously some of the rumblings that people in venture capital are talking about, that there may be a bit of a tech bubble that may burst. And there may be more people out there thinking, wow, I thought I was pretty secure in what I was doing. That turned out not to be the case. Um, What should I have done? So, you know, let's talk about some tactics about what to do now, about how to future-proof your career. And what do I do now? So if we kind of uh, take a look at some of the things that we might want to start with is, uh, so the first thing that I would think about is, and I know we want to go back and talk a little bit about how you can prepare for this, but let's say it happened, right? So you've just, you've been laid off or, you know, let go for one reason or another. What is job one? What is the first thing? And and I think specifically around, um, for me, one of the, the first steps has to do with mental and emotional wellness, right? Because... Uh, so in my, my experience, it's, it's happened to me a couple times. Uh, once was a little more, I knew it was coming where it was based upon an acquisition. And so it was one of those like, okay, so here's the situation, you know, we are a giant company. We have acquired your company and 90% of the people were laying you off with a nice sweet package. And a couple of you ops folks, uh, we need you to stick around and turn off the lights. And by the way, if you don't agree to stick around and turn off the lights, you're not eligible for anything. But if you stick around, you can get a nice package. Uh, another situation was very much caught by surprise where, you know, my position was eliminated and I didn't know it was coming. And I think about the emotional reaction to having something, especially when it's a, a job that you really love. What are some of the things that we can do when this happens to us to get our our mental and emotional state in, in good order so we make smart decisions? Right. And then I think there's also needs to be um, a little bit of thought of what just happens in the if it is a surprise, what happens in the first 24 hours? Um, I mean, one of those, despite all the, the movies that should, you know, show people shaking their fists and declaiming, well, uh, you can't fire me, I, I quit. Frankly, the people um, you're talking to may not be having any fun in what they're doing. Um, secondly, you might very well need them down the road. So there's really nothing to be gained from, from being a, a drama queen or, or a jerk. Um, secondly, um, don't waste any time filing for unemployment. Unemployment insurance isn't much, but it's something. And if you wait a week, then that's a week of benefits that you miss. And third, uh, if you get a separation package, discuss it with a lawyer. I think that's a really, that last point is really key. And that's something that I, I didn't do um, in, my, in one of my cases where I was just very much caught, the, the case where I was caught by surprise, you know, it was one of those things where my, my boss at the time said, hey, I need to have a meeting with you. And I was like, okay, whatever, we go in the meeting. And sitting as I walk in the room, sitting there as a director of HR. And I was like, oh, okay, why is, why is he here? And just, and so what the thing that can happen, and I think to, to Peter's point is, you've got a lot of emotions going on and the package might sound pretty good. 
right? I sit there and I, they said, this is what we're going to do for you, but we need you to sign this right now where you're, you're not be, you know, and it's kind of over. And I was like, okay, that sounds reasonable. And then after the fact, looked at it a little bit more and talked to some folks and realized it wasn't maybe what should, it should have been. Uh, what, what's your uh, take on this, Jill? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely not a fun scenario for anyone. And Peter talked to this a little bit. Um, I think that HR in general gets a pretty bad rap for being like cold and kind of against the people. Uh, I know that there are bad case scenarios of this, but in general, I think that HR does care about humans. They just have to, you know, abide by some legal compliance and regulations a lot of times, which gives them a bad rap. Um, but, but like I said, like Peter said, in this scenario, I think that it's not going to be an evil person doing this to you. So have a genuine like heart to heart convo if you can about it. So a lot of times, like I know there's numbers and all that kind of stuff involved, which you have to deal with in lawyers. But one, you you want to be a human and not kind of burn that bridge because down the road, you don't know where they could help you out. And also they may be willing to help you out now. I know a lot of people who have been laid off um, for one reason or another, you know, things happen and it's business, unfortunately, uh, but their boss and HR and or others are willing to help, you know, navigate their networks to help find you your next gig. So I think that's an important conversation to have as well. Say, you know, take it in. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. I've never personally been through it. I feel very fortunate that I have not. Um, but I, you know, speaking with people of all 10 years, uh, in the industry, it tends to happen to people at some point in their career. So just be kind of prepared for it, uh, as much as you can, but to make sure that you're utilizing the relationships that you've built while you're at the company to help ensure there's some stability in the next move. Yeah. I think that that's really key because the fact that like in reality, Companies come, companies go, jobs come, jobs go, but we have a pretty small industry. You're probably going to keep interacting, if not working with the same people again and again and again. And so keeping and maintaining and building on those relationships, no matter what's going on with your current gig is, I think, a great idea. I, yeah, I, I want to follow up and say, you know, burning bridges never helps. And whether it's, and, and one thing that I, I witnessed at, at one, one, one gig I was at is when folks would leave voluntarily, a lot of them love to leave in a very scorched earth way, right? Because of course your new gig seems like it's amazing and you can't possibly think that you'd ever want to work anywhere else. And the couple things that I, I, I came to realize was one, you can, you know, I think what happens is in that exit interview, people think, here's my opportunity to tell the company everything that's wrong with them right? What it is, but how much of that they're going to actually listen to? Probably not much, right? First of all, most of the things that you've identified as being wrong, they probably already know and have decided not to do something about or not. It's not going to help anything. And then secondly, even though you may think, okay, so I'm never going to work for Matt again, right? And that's quite possible. People, again, it's a very small community, especially within when you think about within a geo area or something like that. So let's say, you know, Trevor worked for me at, you know, big company doc or whatever we worked at, 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 at we worked together at 10 let's say because we sort of did so then down the road trevor's looking for another job they look trevor up on linkedin they say oh trevor worked at 10th magnitude how do i know 10th mag oh yeah matt worked there and what do they do they reach out to me and say hey what about this trevor joker and i say he's a fool he was a jerk don't hire him and that absolutely will happen um 
and and again, it's just like it doesn't benefit to burn those bridges. It feels really good. You want to do it. I still have a desire to do that with some people in my past, and I've found that it's just it doesn't. It's not positive. I I made a comment once on social network not too long ago about how leaving one job was the best thing that ever happened to me. And thank goodness that I don't work for a short-sighted individual anymore or something like that. And one of my friends said, what does a good business do for you to be antagonistic about it? All you're doing is you look like a jerk. doesn't help anybody. So. Yeah. I uh, can't remember. Uh, I mean, I might be calling this the wrong thing, but um, basically like the recency effect, that's psychology that, you know, no matter how much good you do in the past, the, the last thing you do is the thing that uh, is what people are going to remember about you. Um, so don't make it, don't make it a bad thing. If you can, if you can avoid it at all. What are some things that in that 24, when we're thinking about our emotional state too, about, cause it's, it's, it's very hard not to take this stuff personally. Right. And I, I think it might be good to think of some things that you can do to get yourself leveled. Cause you really need to take, you know, so, so Peter talked about some very tactical things you need to do in those 24 hours. But I also think about the things that you don't need to do right away. And you might need 24, 48 hours, some kind of cooling period for yourself so that you don't do things like scorch the earth. Right. Um, I would think like one of the things, and I'd like to hear what other people think would be don't talk to anybody about the specifics of your layoff, maybe within the first 48, just say, Hey, I'm still processing that. You know, if someone wants to know, cause people want to know everyone's nosy, right? So Trevor gets laid off from 10th. And the first thing that's going to happen, he's going to post on Facebook to say he doesn't work there anymore. And he's going to get 55 million DMs saying, yo, what happened? And I, I don't know. I, to me, it thinks like it would be the, 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 it's hard because on one hand you want to be able to process it with your friends and like maybe vent a little bit, but think about like what you need to like, maybe for public stuff, give yourself a really big cooling off period. Oh, big props to that. Yeah. I mean, aside from filing for unemployment and making sure that anything you're, you're signing is going to be, um, you know, all square with your future. There's probably nothing you have to do in the first 48, 96 hours that, isn't going to help you more than it could potentially hurt you if you get it wrong. I guess the thing to think about is do your, do your venting and your processing offline, right? You know, uh, I, you know, go home to your significant other, your family, your dog, your attack kitten or whatever, and say all the terrible, awful things that you're feeling about your previous employer, because it's, you're taking it very personally, but do it all in a very non-recorded, non-public way, I would think, you know? Yeah, there's, there's definitely something, cathartic uh about being able to vent it's just finding the right people to vent to having that that circle of trust whether it's and it should be small mind you um whether it's inside of tech outside of tech um you know those significant others or, or friends and family that you know 100 percent that you can trust uh to not not go beyond that um that's super important and that's not just for layoffs that's for anything <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of operate under the assumption that anything I type into the internet or say into a hangout on air is going down on my permanent record. So like, I just don't put things like that there. That's one reason why I'm always cautious about tweeting in general is like, am I going to, am I going to look back at a tweet in like a year and a half and think, why did I bother saying that? I mean, just in terms of like being negative about people or organizations, I always try to think of, is this, kind? Is it necessary? Is it fair? 
Um, one other thing before we talk about the the first 24 hours or 12 hours is that situation where you're asked to sign something then and there or it goes away. Is that for real? Is that legal? I mean, no one here should offer legal advice, mm -hmm. but I, I, I don't think I don't think anyone can ask you to sign anything without the opportunity to talk to legal counsel. Matt said earlier is in a situation where he's expected to sign something on short notice. We will not discuss that in depth on this episode, but uh, we will, our, I will update the show notes with some resources so you know now if you're in that situation, whether you are actually obliged to sign something or not, or it goes away. This is not legal advice. It is simply providing resources in the show notes. <laughs> yes, from a, an HR law perspective, uh, there is nothing that states that you have to sign then and there. And I'm not just making that up. I actually know a fair amount about HR law. <laughs> but again, not legal advice. Right, right, right. I, and, and this, I think, goes a little bit into, into an idea of uh, what Peter had, had, had mentioned in kind of our notes about what are you doing for a rainy day? Because a lot of this stuff, you know, you don't want to think about what's going to happen if this happens. We don't like to think about this now because we have, you know, you're maybe in a position you're like, hey, I've got a job I like. I can't possibly imagine this happening. It's it's kind of like a prenup, right? Like you don't want to think about a prenup right when you're in the process of maybe getting married because it's a really negative way to think. But in the time, in the moment, you want to be prepared. So what what are some of the things that, that people can do now, as, as Peter said, that are prepping for that rainy day? One of the things that's helped most in, in my career, not from a uh, perspective of me ever being laid off, but just from finding new jobs is not being, don't close yourself off in a box of that particular company or those particular people. Keep your network as large as you can, you know, work on uh, projects on the side or just like go to meetups. Just keep, keep talking with people throughout the industry so that when, if, whatever happens that you need to look elsewhere that you have already have those connections. You're not building those connections from that jumping point. The part where people tell you to network and you're like, that sounds like Toastmasters and handing out business cards and terrible. Like it really isn't. It's just get to know people in your industry because not just because there may come a time that that's useful to you, but you may be useful to them too. Like, hey, your company is trying to hire people with exactly their skills and you you actually know those people. This is a win for everyone. Talking about networks, it is an old adage that you should uh, build up every, use every network that's available to you when you're on the job hunt. So on a walk, I thought I have nothing to lose from this. I stood up in my community choir where I sing bass and said that I was on the job hunt and, um, and then sent out a follow-up email with uh, specifically what I do when I'm looking for. And one of my altos, has a husband who works at 18F and he's like, oh my gosh, we're looking for someone with those skills. So um, uh, it really is true that you never quite know what connections might come to fruition. So, um, you know, be, be out there in your community. You should definitely go work for 18F. They're awesome. Oh, I'm accepting to like today. <gasps> I would be doing this right now, except uh, I was got the time of this uh, whole podcast uh, off by an hour. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's my news. Um, but uh, you know, back to what you do when you're preparing for the rainy day. Uh, Nathan Harvey has his uh, old talk on uh, quit your job. And it did inspire me to think about applying for another job once a year, whether you actually think you want another job or not. There's a lot of benefits that come from it. One is that it 
obliges you to update your CV. Two, you get to learn about another um, uh, company or organization out there in the industry. And third, it can be really gratifying to step back, look at what you're doing, assess how your skills stand in the industry and say, dang, I'm pretty good and I actually like where I am. And if you find your the grass actually is greener on the other side of the fence, then you get to change jobs and, and that's good too. And I've heard that advice and like I actually philosophically vehemently disagree with it specifically because I've been the hiring manager who loved the candidate and extended an offer and no, they were just mm. actually practice interviewing. Whoops. And I'm like, I spent so much of my time and my like, social capital at work to get you and like get the offer that would have gotten you and like wasted a whole bunch of my people's time bringing engineers in to talk to you. And like, this was all a game to you. Like, I really don't like that. What I would say is just be out there, be in public, give a conference talk. Like there are things you can do to make sure that you're staying uh, aware of what's going on out in the industry and engaged without being false. I mean, other than if you wanted to say, Hey, I'd love to do a practice interview with you. I'd love to do a mock interview. Like that's cool. But if you're not sincerely willing to take a reasonable offer, I think it's disingenuous at best to interview someplace. That last part I think is the key. And I, I don't think it's completely contrary to what Peter was saying, which is that I do think you have to be serious that if it is the right fit, that you'll take it, right? You're not doing this just to practice. Because I think if you look at it, part of it is to do that that soul search and say, is this the right thing? It's not just because I want to go see what you're doing. It's like, okay, this gig that you have, Bridget, sounds pretty rad. I'm going to go through this. And the thing that may happen at the end is, okay, it actually was. And you may still have loved me, but I didn't love your job. And that's okay. I think that's better but than just saying, okay, I'm going to just randomly pick someplace so I can practice interviewing. Those, I think, are two different things, but I can see how the latter could be interpreted by the Nathan Harvey advice, right? Which is the, okay, I'm just going to do this once a year as my career maintenance. I think you should really look at that. And um, like you said, if you're not genuinely interested, if, if you wouldn't accept if it was right, then yeah, you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, it's hard from a recruitment and hire manager perspective because it's a really thin line. There's a lot of people out there who will interview just to get a better offer, to get an offer so that they can go back to their current company and get more money. Um, and so they are disingenuous and that makes those who might be doing it for the right reasons, but it doesn't end up working out for one reason or the other, just look bad too. Um, so again, full circle back to the burning bridges thing, uh, hiring managers and recruiters don't forget people. So just be cautious of that. And to make clear, I'm not the jerk in this group. I think I've always done it in the guise. It's like, yeah, that looks kind of interesting. I wasn't looking, but I'm happy to get more information about this position. Here's my updated CV. Yes, honesty is always the best policy. So uh, let's, we can roll with that. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's interesting because even as a, a recruiter, I'm kind of torn about it because I think interviewing is really hard. And I mean, I'm on one side of the fence always. And when I have to actually interview myself and I haven't done it in a long time, I get really nervous. It's weird and awkward. And um, so I can I can understand the desire to practice that. Um, but it just has to be done with the right intent. And I don't think anyone thinks you're a jerk, Peter. So you're fine. Uh, there, there's a couple other things. So it's like, so we're, we're going through that. We talked about working on, on your network and, and I really liked, you know, Bridget's point about, you know, you don't want to just leverage your network when you need them. 
Um, I think that's a, that's a big key. Cause I've, I've definitely run into that where I've had the folks who, who reach out to me when they need something. And it was kind of like, where were you to, when we were just chatting before? So I think it's, those are genuine connections and genuine connections are what are going to help you. Um, kind of a funny thing. And I don't really have the back cause I, I realized this just sort of looking is like, so our, our good, our good uh, friend of the show, Charity Majors, has apparently decided she's like a, a matchmaker for people looking for jobs lately. <laughs> she's been posting about it on, on Twitter and, and Facebook. But it's like one of those things where if you're own, like, let's say someone like Charity was like, oh, well, I actually am look, you know, people are asking me for folks to do X, Y and Z. And if you just come out of the woodwork and you're the first time you're talking to someone like that and you say, oh, what about me? Then be like, who the hell are you? You know, and. I, I encounter this a lot too when there's, you know, jobs are posted at shop and I'll, I'm always getting people saying like, Oh, so I see that there's, you know, an opening for a product manager. I do product management. How do I get you as a referral? And if you're someone that I know well, then I'm going to say, sure, great. And I'm going to probably do things like say, let me know when you apply. And I know who the hiring manager is. I'm going to actually send them a specific message saying, Hey, Peter is super awesome please take a look at his resume specifically. But if you're just some rando that I know on Twitter and we've never engaged, I might just say, sure, throw my name down when you submit because I wouldn't mind having referral bonus, but I'm not going to put, because having somebody be a referral for you is really, you're vouching for them, right? Like it's kind of like Donnie Brasco. It's like, I speak for you, right? He's a friend of mine. And if I were to refer somebody into an organization and they're terrible, that reflects really badly on me in some ways more on me than on the candidate themselves. So, so now, now, now I'm like second guessing in my head about all the times I've like reached out to folks in the different Slack channels for, you know, for help. But, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that I don't care about how their day is, but I feel like I would be interrupting them in a non-productive way for them, for me to be like, Hey, like I'm randomly messaging you on Slack to say just how, hi, how's your day? Like if I ran into them in public, you know, sure. I would be all like, you know, casual conversation all day, but like, where's the, like, I don't, now I'm like second guessing in my head that I'm just bothering people again. <laughs> I, I don't think it's about like that. You're like pals and you, you know, talk about gifts all day with each other and you may, but even then that's also not going to help me understand if you're someone that I actually, that, that will tell me that I sure. think you're funny and you're friendly this is still not helping me say, I want to put my name on the line to say you would be a good candidate. So it's just, I guess, kind of usual open source rules apply, right? Like be helpful in the community. Do you think that's what drives the network too? And it's, it's, right. I guess this kind of leverages into another thought about like how you can build your unofficial resume with things like GitHub and, and open source projects and stuff like that. I think that can be a little challenging for folks because a lot of stuff they may work on is behind the firewall stuff that they can't do. So I'd like to maybe lever like lean into that a little bit of what are your thoughts on this? Like Bridget's making a face. So I want to know what I'm making the, the GitHub resume is bullshit face because <laughs> some people have uh, other hobbies or have families or have a desire to not work 23 hours a day. And so if you're selecting candidates based on whether or not they have the copious free time to contribute to open source in their spare time when their company doesn't pay them to, you're selecting candidates out of a like limited and more privileged pool. So I pretty much hate the GitHub resume entirely. Not to say that open source isn't a great thing. It 
it's a great thing for a candidate to have on their resume. And it's a great thing if an organization like say ATNF is paying people to write open source software, like, or, you know, even Pivotal pays a lot of people to write open source software, IBM too. I mean, but there, I would not ever say like, yeah, let's use this as a filter for candidates. Cause it's like, Oh, that's terrible. On the opposite side, it would be kind of weird at this point not to have a GitHub presence because it's, it would seem even if you aren't allowed to contribute at open source, perhaps in your free time, you would be saying, I am so frustrated by this particular issue. Can I get some help? You know, even if you don't have time to get paid, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but not to have some presence would seem like you're being a little passive in 2016. I mean, I would say that's probably the go-to place to look for that. But that's, you know, you, you maybe you may have side projects, but maybe that's, you know, you don't put them on GitHub. You're, you know, your organization isn't using Git as a tool. It's not what you're familiar with. There may be other things that you're working on. But I mean, at that point, you should have, you know, some evidence of that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where there's not going to be evidence. Uh, one, I mean, I'm fully supportive of what Bridget has had to say about uh, I like when people have lives outside of work because I think that fulfills you as a human. Uh, and that's a huge necessity. But also I've come across a lot of people that I've hired and, and one in particular um, who I won't name, but he worked for the, the federal government and he was not allowed to write anything publicly. And he's probably one of the smartest engineers I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, and he's amazing. Uh, and we had to really like sell. He, I hired him to Rackspace. He doesn't work there anymore. Um, but we really had to sell him to hiring managers because uh, he didn't have uh, a presence outside of his resume because he physically could not. Um, and so I think that that's just a, a great example. I mean, I'm sure there's many more of, of not being, you know, having an open source presence, but still being very passionate about open source and software or whatever in general. I think this this goes a little bit too, and I want to kind of clarify. I am certainly not a fan of oh, well, you have to have a GitHub presence, and I'm going to look you up in GitHub, and if you don't got shit there, then f off, right? No, I was thinking about when we're talking about how you can prepare for the rainy day. What are the things you might be able to do, both from being able to show your work, if you will, but also back to that collaboration, that networking. You can build a network through projects you enjoy, right? Same thing if there's someone that you've you're working on some open source problem. Again, this may not be the complete thing, but maybe just in part of the community around the tool that you use. If you're known as being someone who helps out in hangups or is on a mailing list for Chef, or you do do some bug fixes or documentation fixes or something like that on an open source tool, all those people, they now start to know you because you're collaborating with them. That's a way of networking besides, and I think that's not Toastmasters networking. That's actual like, here, my money's where my mouth is. I'm an actual part of this community. And I, I, I know plenty of folks who are super good, who are just like what, what Bridget said, say, hey, you know what? I hit five o'clock. I'm done because what I want to do in my free time is be with my family. And that's great. You can still be part of a community without it being your entire thing. And I think a lot of us on this show right now are people who find fulfillment in our communities so we go above and beyond, and we, we might have a little bit of a disparate dial on. Our, our optics are a little off on that. But I had a, a co-worker that, that Trevor and I have worked with in the past who was an amazing engineer, and, and he did contribute to open source because it was appropriate for his job, but he was like, I don't go to meetups. I don't go to conferences. That's not what I want to do. And 
you just need to think about how you can leverage those things that are an, an additional thing you might be able to do as a network, I guess is what I was getting to. I so, certainly don't think you have to be an open source person to be able to have a job in this day and age, you know, um, have some way that you can show either show your work, but also just doing those things help prepare you for that rainy day. I think too, some, you know, and I've never been laid off yet. Um, <laughs> but you know, one thing, even though I don't always have, I, I rarely actually have time to write things for open source, but when I'm working with code, I do kind of keep a little list of the things that I would love to fix when I get the chance and, you know, kind of get it. This is probably getting ahead in the conversation, but you know, probably something, you know, once you've kind of settled yourself out, you know, while you're looking for the next thing, Maybe go and start working on some of those things that are in your your personal backlog. So um, since I've been thinking about this, I'm going to just tick off some of the things that I think are possibly valuable to do in networking. Uh, we've already discussed GitHub, so I think we all agree. If, get, if you want to have a presence in open source communities and you're allowed to be on GitHub, it would probably benefit you to make sure you have a GitHub account. And, um, and if you're inspired to open issues, that's probably a good thing for you. Uh, meetups. Even if you're shy, go to some meetups. You don't have to say anything. Just being there, being on the um, list, um, just saying, you know, introducing yourself. Um, that is something that people will remember later on that they have a connection with you when you're looking for work. Uh, you know, Twitter's not everyone's thing, but even if you're on there, just listening to other people and get on from time to time when you actually do need to send out that that tweet saying, "Hey, I'm looking for work." You know, some people may have already followed you back, and that would be good. The um, and then, of course, the elephant in the room is is LinkedIn. Um, I think I, I hate LinkedIn, um, but you know, I go on there and, and update things. Uh, something I found myself looking at though is more than the references that people get is the references that people write, because it tells me that someone I'm looking at actually cares enough about other people. In Adam Grant's uh, nomenclature is a, a giver or a matcher and not just a taker. Totally agreed about LinkedIn. Like it bugs me and I don't really use it except I log in like once a quarter to like answer messages and accept requests. But I've been told and I think it was maybe it was even Matt who was telling me that there's a huge value to, for other people for them to be able to see um, your network, for them to easily be able to tell who do you know. So, so that they can say, Hey, I see, you know, this person at this org, can you talk to them? Yeah, that's, that's the majority of the stuff that I am using LinkedIn for these days. I rarely message people on it unless it's like the only way I could ever get a hold of them. And I mean, I actually can't remember the last time I did that. Um, but I get on all the time to see who is connected to who I, I like looking at people's recommendations as well. And ones that they give, I like reading those, um, just seeing, uh, their network. And a, a lot of times if people do update it, they'll put like, you know, blogs they write or videos that they're in or things like that. So it's a good way to get like a full scope of someone, uh, in one place. And so if I can't find it there, I'll, I'll look elsewhere. But if, if it's already, in a package, like I'm going to go there first to check it out before I have to use too much other time kind of poking around. So one of the things that uh, we had in our our list too was was thinking about 
for again prepping, what's the likelihood that that you might get the axe right? And I think we t- I talked about two different times. You know, actually both times it was generally a giant surprise to me. Um, and you kind of, I mean, one one day it was a mat- when, when it was based on an acquisition. I, I remember specifically coming in, and uh, I had just we had an employee stock program, so I just happened to randomly pull up our stock ticker because I had just uh, <laughs> done a purchase, and I was like, "Oh my god, our my stock tripled in value! What happened?" And of course, on CNN FN, there's all the lists of oh Heller Financial acquired by G Capital and blah blah blah, and and so we're all I remember a whole bunch of us you know kind of gathering in someone's office trying to figure out what was going on because no one had told us anything. And we had uh, one coworker of ours who was uh, infamous for coming into work around 11 o'clock and we're standing there kind of stunned with each other. And there's this, you know, kind of pregnant pause. And one of our coworkers says, you know, this person is probably sleeping right now. <laughs> and we're kind of saying, you know, so when you think about it, it could come out of nowhere. So how, what are some of the things to think about when you're you're prepping for knowing that no mat, no one's everyone is potentially at risk for this? I know uh, Peter, you mentioned something to the effect of, can you explain the, uh, how you add value yeah. to an organization? Yeah, I mean, one of the filter questions as to whether you're at risk or not is, are you employed? Yes, then you're at risk. Um, is essentially what it comes down to. But um, you never can quite guess what's going on either inside or outside your your company to some extent, but you should be prepared to know how you add value to an organization, either by adding to the top line by bringing in revenue or by saving money on the, the bottom line or making things more efficient. If you don't know how to explain that, that should be a cause for concern. And I do want to differentiate between valuable and indispensable because some people think that they've made themselves indispensable because they have to be the person who, because they, the only person who knows those database table indexes or how they deploy works. And frankly, if you think you're indispensable and can't be laid off, you are likely wrong. I mean, I think it's kind of the those same feels when whenever you choose to leave a company too. Uh, and everybody has these. It doesn't matter if you're like, super confident or not, or, you know, self-important or whatnot. Like when you leave, you think stuff's kind of going to go wrong after I leave. Like, how are they going to do this without me? There's just like a little tinge of that in everybody. And then like half a day after you left, the company is running fully fine without you. Um, And because that's just life. Um, So you have to, you have to think of that too, like the realistic view where um, if you, even if you think you're indispensable, like it's, especially the larger the company that you work at, it's it's just a part of life and you do have to be prepared for anything that can happen. Other thoughts on uh, identifying job risk? I mean, I suppose I, I technically narrowly escaped a layoff because I was kind of paying attention to the, the hey, no business is closed in six months. <laughs> um, like just, you know, being aware of what's going on at your company can maybe... You know, unless it's a surprise, like in Matt's case, where there was, you know, an, an acquisition that was learned by a stock ticker. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you're in a small enough organization where you can keep your ear to the ground and understand what, you know, what's happening at the higher levels, you can kind of be, be ready for the, see the writing on the wall, so to speak. Yeah, I think it becomes more difficult the larger the company that you're at. And obviously, yeah. as I mentioned, I'm at IBM, so a huge company. And we just like layoffs, unfortunately are 
kind of a part of life at that large of a company. And so at that level, then it becomes difficult to know where, when, why, how that, that things would happen. So, you know, it's important to, to realize that now I'm, now I'm scared. Thanks, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of, so we've talked about, you know, what's the likelihood we've talked about, what can you do to prep for a rainy day? We talked a little bit about what to do in the beginning, but let's, let's take a little bit about the bouncing back. So you've done your, your pre-work maybe, right? We kind of said some of the stuff, but how, how do you actually bounce back, right? So we talked about having a network in place in advance, about having stuff you can show to people, about you know when it actually happens, talk to a lawyer. So now it's after that first 48 to 96 hours, and now you're ready to start leveraging this stuff. What are some of the things that you can do? Well, first, you need to get the word out that you're, well, I shouldn't say first, but one of the things is to getting the word out that you um, are looking for work to the people in your network. I just saw that in the last couple of weeks, uh, Mike Fiedler and Annie Hedgepeth like, just had some really succinct tweets saying what it is they're doing, what they're, they're looking for. Um, so yeah, that, that's one network to use. I've seen that some people advise on LinkedIn to not say looking for work, but just to change your uh, your top line description to what it is you do: uh, DevOps, continuous delivery, SecOps, something like like that. And I, I'm not quite sure what the reasoning is between looking for work or looking for new opportunities versus just saying um, what it is you're looking for. It's a little awkward because. Um, I think there is a sense of some shame in our society when you don't have a job to just be out there and saying, I don't have a job. But if you're not saying you're looking for work, you're not going to find it. I also think that like the shame or stigma around like, I don't have a job right now. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, of course it sucks. It sucks to lose your job. It sucks to get laid off. Like I've been laid off twice and it wasn't awesome. It was kind of a surprise um, in one case. In the other case, it was like after an acquisition and it was pretty clear that that's the direction things were going. But just saying like, hey, I'm looking for you know a change. I'm looking for something new. It, I feel like that's something that I've at least seen a lot of people on Twitter be really supportive of. And that's what I want to see continue. Like, I don't want to, we all look for something new for different reasons. And it's not usually because like you're a terrible employee and that's why. I mean, that's not the reason. <laughs> So, Jill, this is, you know, you're, you're definitely our resident expert on, 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 on this area, not, you know, for your own thing, but because, hey, that's your job, right? So what, what, are, what are the things, again, when we're looking, when we're trying, you know, um, you know so Peter mentioned that, that folks are saying, okay, change your LinkedIn in this way. How do we, when we're coming back, make ourselves more attractive to potential employers, if you will? Yeah, and so the downside is that, there is a stigma around being out there and looking for, for a job. And what, what that comes from is that the industry is, is booming. And I would say specifically in the engineer space. And I've seen recruiters and heard conversations from hiring managers um, that say like, oh, this person doesn't have a job. Like we want people who are highly sought after. So if this person isn't employed, then they must not be highly sought after which I'm not saying that that's the right way to think of it. I'm just kind of telling it like I've seen it in some scenarios. So I understand the trepidation of not wanting to put like, hey, I'm looking for work on your on your LinkedIn. Um, 
So I would be reluctant to put that on there. Uh, I would say that this is a, a time where it's important to have made connections with any recruiters, if you know any. Like, I know that recruiters get a bad rap, but there's definitely, like, some good ones out there. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, to, to continue those relationships, if you have any, I have people reach out to me all the time saying, like, hey, either I'm looking for work or my friend or my friend of friend is looking for a job. Do you have anything at insert company that I'm at at the moment, or do you know anyone in your network that would be open to this kind of role? So it's, it's utilizing those relationships too, but yeah, from, uh, from a personal brand of yourself as a currently unemployed person, uh, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult struggle to, for how to brand yourself. Well, I think what, what we were just saying about like, the area you work in or the work, the kind of work you do is a good thing to focus on because I mean, and I know people who have left positions because they just needed to take some time. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to do, you know, hashtag ops life anymore or whatever. So I also love that everyone's reaching out to you and they're asking for a friend. It's like, are they really asking yeah. for a friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that could be a whole nother episode of, of, how is it you break into this career if you're new or if you're someone who stepped away for a few years uh, for family reasons or or whatever, as opposed to, to the layoff. But I won't go down that particular rabbit hole at this point. It's a, it's definitely, that's, that's a really good idea for follow-up because I can think of several examples of where that was a factor, you know, and, and just to put in perspective, I guess, to maybe hammer home the, the importance of that networking was I had, I've had two times where I've been hiring for a role and I've reached out to people that I've worked with in the past who I thought were amazing, who I thought were overqualified to do the job and basically were like, hey, Johnny, do you know anybody who's looking? And then get the response saying, well, I don't really know that thing you're talking about. Would you take a chance on me? And then I trip over myself to try to hire the person because I'm like, are you kidding? Yes, you're hired already. I'll teach you in a week. You're fine. And so, but again, that only happened because of knowing somebody. It's not like because we're drinking buddies and we're pals and I'm hooking them up. It's because I knew that in both cases, these were exceptional engineers who I was like, I don't really care that you don't know Chef or you don't know Azure, but I know you're super smart and you'll know more than I do in a week, right? And then vice and versa. If I, if I ever find myself in the same situation, I'll make the same decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and vice versa, I had a bit of a challenge when I was laid off one of the times where I kind of looked at it and said, okay, I'd already been kind of done with doing what I was doing, but I wasn't actually quite ready to be able to move into the DevOps stuff as much as I thought I was ready. The industry thought differently. Uh, and it's it's interesting to think about what you, when you're, again, when you're prepping for that rainy day, I guess, or when you're looking in your first 96, take a look at what your package is, look at what your unemployment is and figure out what's your realistic guideline for fun employment, right? If you say like, okay, I'm going to take a couple weeks off. Cause that was my thing. I was like, I'm such a highly desired candidate. I can take six weeks and just fuck around and whatever. And you know, everybody will want me. And then, you know, that time came up and everyone was like, yeah, about you being amazing. <laughs> Not so much. So I think that goes a little bit into Peter's advice from before about being able to understand your actual, where your skills are, what's, um, so you're not, you're not scrambling at the end, right? Like kind of know what you, what you think you can and want to do and, and how, 
how you're going to set that up. Um, a, a couple other things I was thinking about when we were talking about spreading the word. Anytime you ask somebody to signal boost for you, in my experience, the easier you make it for them, the better, right? So like going to someone and saying, yo, I'm out of work. Can you help me find a job? That is like, okay, you've just given me a whole bunch of work to do. So I need to really like you to take on a bunch of extra work. But if you come to me and say, and maybe this is a thing, maybe this sounds like, and this might, this goes a little bit when I think about like our personal brand episode, which is probably a good listen if you're in this situation to think about building that brand. A lot of people, like anything that, that, that smacked of marketing turns people off sometimes. But I think about if I were to be out of work and saying, okay, I want to go to my Twitter network and ask the people I care about, like, or that I respect, like Bridget or, you know, someone like that, instead of going to Bridget and just saying, can you just tweet to your followers and tell them I'm looking for work? If I said, here's a couple example tweets, maybe you could send this. And it says, Hey, Matt Stratton's looking for a job and he totally knows chef, you know, and is in Chicago. Does anybody know somebody? All that Bridget has to do is copy paste that and she's done. Or give or, me something to retweet or something to retweet <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, although I will say something interesting in my mind and I want to know what people think about is I would, so, cause I, I see what I, um, what I see come across my Twitter stream or my Facebook feed with people signal boosting friends. And I definitely pay a lot more attention when I see, for example, I have a, like Bill Weiss at puppet, like he's lately, he's got some friends who are looking for work and he'll post on Facebook and Twitter and specifically post it instead of just sharing or retweeting. And I look at that more than a retweet because I'm like, that's to me feels more of an endorsement. Even if they, yeah. even if you just copy pasted what I sent you to say. Though I actually, I just want there to be a tweet so that I can quote tweet and say something about the person. And then like, you know, then that takes me out of being a named pipe and makes it possible for the person to kind of see and look at everything about you directly. Like what I don't have time to sign up for is acting as, you know, the uh, go between. Like, that's the thing I'm not going to do. Like, I don't have a lot of time for that. But if you have something that's like, already exists and is succinct and that I can point people to, then I will do that. One site that I found useful recently is called themuse.com. Uh, specifically for two things, they have like a list of 200 action verbs to use in your resume. Um, the other one is a uh, post called help me find a job emails to send in your network. And it was pretty much just a template I could use where I listed what it is I do and all the different potential job titles I could apply to me, you know, DevOps, continuous delivery. Um, what else? Yeah. You know, what are the other things we do? I forget. But the, um, and then the other one is just like list places that would be ideal to work out. And that was the thing where, you know, my friend, the Alta was able to see that I mentioned 18F and these potential jobs and it made the connection. So um, I will post that in the show notes, but I would recommend uh, those two resources. Yeah, I was going to say that, as I mentioned earlier, I have people who reach out to me a, a fair amount uh, and some. So if you're a, of my like close network, of course, I want to do whatever I can to help you out. But there there has to be like a limit. And this is with everyone's network where if you're further and further away, like I can't spend, you know, an hour every day helping <laughs> helping random people. I have a full time job as well. Um, so I had someone reach out to me, like they heard me on a, a podcast or something a couple of weeks ago and they just like 
actually, this is kind of funny, Cold reached out to me on LinkedIn and they were like, hey, I need career advice. Can you help? And there was like no context or anything. I wasn't connected with this person. This was just like someone who was connecting and that was the message. Um, and so like, that's a little bit airy and I can't spend a ton of time there uh, where I had someone else who reached out who knew there was like a, a connection between us. And this was on, on Twitter. And she was like, Hey, I know so-and-so I was looking at uh, your career site. There's like two jobs that I'm interested in. Do you have any connections to those? Here's my resume, like giving me the full kind of docket. And then I was more than, more than happy to, to help kind of connect her to the right people. Because again, you, you served it up to me like on a platter and made it easy for me. So, you know, I'm that you just have to keep that in mind when you're reaching out to your network as well, because most people have jobs, lives outside of jobs. We all want to help each other, but it becomes, uh, uh, you know, a lot for, for people too. Yeah. I think to, to your point, right. Anything you can do that when you want something from someone adding work to their plate is the surest way to not have it be done. And that just even goes back to advice. I've always given people about, when they want something from their boss, right? I want this to be like, I get the best results from a manager. If I go to them and just say this thing, yes or no. But if it's something that means they have to now think about the thing that I want, you know, I mean, so it's like coming to them and say, and here's all the background, here's all the evidence, whatever, versus the, oh, great. Now I have to go research this thing you want a decision about. Well, then I'm probably just going to say no, because I really don't need more work and vice versa, right? If you're, or similarly, you want a favor, you want someone to help you, Hey, to be honest, you're the one that doesn't have a job. You've got time. <laughs> you know, I mean, you should do 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 the leverage on that. What what are uh, a couple other things that I, I I see? So, Peter, you had made a note in your your notes about using a password manager. I, I'm interested to know how that's <laughs> relevant. It's a very good piece of advice, and uh, longtime friend of the show, Ben Hughes, would love that you're talking about it. But how is that I, relevant? <laughs> I just realized when I was last time, you know, when I was going through this recent job change, that it's like I didn't know any of the passwords that mattered because they're all in the password manager. So I could just like delete them all and then, you know, worse, you know, if you're part of a large layoff and someone takes action against the company, you have a much better position of plausible deniability. It's like all those passwords are my password safe. I deleted them all. I, you know, have a timestamp of it. And, um, and it's off your hands, as well as all the other ancillary benefits that come with a password manager. It was just something that I happened to think also fit into this context. This is the, is this the part where I say hashtag ops life. I really hope that people do a credential role when employees leave. Like, uh, I can't tell you how many, one of my gigs, how many times it was just, it was changing the core, most powerful administrator password that was known was too hard and it was just like uh, we we specifically were fortunate in that my entire time of of managing the team there we actually didn't lose anybody because there was and there was one time where we had 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 a guy who actually quit and then he decided to come back later in the day which was nice and there, I did have a little sigh of relief where I went oh thank God because this was going to be so much work to change that password mm-hmm. I'm really glad you came back. Yeah. I mean, Bridget, you're absolutely like, right? But those of us in ops are just going to end up with our fingers in a lot of things that aren't easily changeable. You know, all these various AWS keys and other just crap floating around out there that um, not knowing those passwords protects me as much as it protects um, my former employer. I mean, yes, except that, you know, 
it, of course, corner case ops life here. I'm just going, except that it's not really that hard to dump a, a plain text version of your password safe before you like delete everything. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think no, not yeah. legal advice. Yeah, not legal advice. Legal and I wouldn't advice. believe if if this were something somebody wanted to look at your timestamps for deletion, I don't think they would believe that you didn't dump a plain text version. So I'm not sure it, it would protect anybody as much as we would hope. You're right. Anyhow, my conscience is clear. <laughs> right. That's what um, I was saying. That I, that I, I know better. I don't have them. Yeah. So I would you, have really, with a person. you have a really good point about a related topic though, which is like it was um Having stuff in a password manager meant that it was a lot easier to figure out which stuff, oh, Trello or whatever, that I had attached to um, a work email address that I needed to change. Mm -hmm. So that, like all of those SaaS things that, um, you know, can get messy, especially if you signed in with Google, but you signed in with your work Google Apps account, like it's having a password manager makes untangling all that stuff way easier. That too. I would make another little bit of rainy day suggestion, which is if you ever purchase software that you buy yourself but aren't reimbursed, don't tie your work email as the license. Uh, as someone who's just recently rebuilt their laptop, and I had software that was super old that I just you know I don't know I don't know how I'd gotten a license on it before somehow, but I was like, damn, it's still tied to an apartments.com email address. And I know this is my you know my thing, but I have no way to reset the license. And I was like, fine, here's 30 bucks again. <laughs> so. Yeah. Back back to things you can do now. I mean if you're if you work on open source software and your employer lets you make contributions under your own email instead of your work email. Do that because I had all my beautiful uh, GitHub contributions disappear from that green green bar of my last change um, on on GitHub. All the green dots, um, you know, it uh, it wasn't a big deal. I was kind of disappointed to see all that all that green on my chart go away. That's a really good bit of it, and I've I've run into that a little bit, not with GitHub, but with this is just a general thing, and we probably think about this as a follow up conversation, but. It's the world of SaaS and personal tools that you also like to use for work. Merging becomes really hard. And I'm specifically looking at you, Trello, because Trello doesn't understand that you could have more than one account on their app, right? And you have to sign in and sign out into the other account. Well, of course, like Chef doesn't want me, doesn't want to put my Gmail account as the Trello account to access Chef stuff but I'm not going to use my chef account to get to like the DevOps days, Trello boards and what it ends up doing. And especially then when you're someone who's like, I use really hard passwords and two factor off everywhere I can and everything logging in and out of apps is not amazing. So uh, if anybody at Trello is listening to this show, please fix that because you're making me not use your tool as much as I want to. So. We got two words for you, Chrome profiles. No, that's fine. Except for this. <laughs> I want to I... use the Trello app on my phone. I know that I do Chrome profile. I live in Chrome profiles. That's fine as long as I'm on my computer. Right. I want to use an app. There's an app oh, in there. By the way, do you, you'll notice right. there's an ADO sticker on my phone. Do you have? Is that the the die cut one? This is the new one. I don't have one of those yet, but I oh. gave away almost all of the ones that you sent me at various conferences okay. recently because I keep running into ADO fans. So. Um, so, by the way, that that was a thing I want to remember is you can actually buy your own ADO stickers direct from Sticker Mule now, and I will in the end I will tell you how to do that. Um, so, talk amongst yourselves while I look up the URL. Fancy. Okay, I'm going to uh, one other thing about when you're on the the market is 
that you need to take care of yourself. I think we already mentioned that it can be uh, a sense of of some shame attached to it because as Julie pointed out, there is a bit of a stigma attached to looking for work when you're not looking for work. Um, so, you know, take, take care of yourself, uh, meditate, exercise, ease well, eat well, whatever it takes. Uh, go see a movie some afternoon. Cause it's like, Hey, I'm not working this afternoon. Go see a movie. Um, if there is another crash, like in 2000 or 2007, and you find yourself unemployed for a long period, in addition to doing open source contributions, get out and do real work. Um, in 2001, when I was moving from Seattle to Denver in the midst of the, the huge tech crunch, I had a long period of unemployment and going to do Habitat for Humanity house building was amazing because I was with other people at the end of the day, hot damn, I put on a roof or um, installed some drains and, and it was just a... Uh, a great, great break from from the uh, essentially nine to five job, nine to five drudge of of job hunting. Definitely, and it sounds like I mean Jill probably has some insight into this too. But it sounds like there are a lot of ways you can keep making sure that you're participating and visible in the community, um, whether or not you're doing it in the course of a specific job. What would you recommend for people in that situation, Jill? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, well, first of all, I. I want to say I really like what Peter said about getting out there and just doing things. Um, I think that, and this is a, a large passion of mine, that um, people forget that there is life and world outside of tech. We get really, really wrapped up in it. And I love seeing when people, I think it likes I can feel myself smiling even more now just thinking about it, um, which is a lot of smile. Um, but, um, you know, doing things and outside of tech and finding other things that make you happy and make you fulfilled, it's it's really cool. And there's a lot of rad shit out there, I promise. Um, but, you know, finding communities elsewhere, like like Peter said, that he ended up finding, um, you know, a job through, through a different connection. Uh, and, you know, just staying active however you can um, is super important. Just building community, building friendships inside and outside of tech that make you feel confident and, you know, fulfilled is, is what I would say. Awesome. This episode has been great. And we're, as usual, over on time. So let's, let's move into our, our checkouts. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of them because we've got lots of people. So... For those of you new to the show, checkouts are where our guests recommend uh, something cool they want you to check out. It could be a book, a beer, a tool, a website. So Jill, what do you have for our listeners today? So today uh, I wanted to promote uh, a new website that I found. It's called, well, I didn't find it. Someone showed it to me, uh, usesthis.com. Uh, and basically it's like short interviews with people from all different areas. There is some chefs, like actual chefs, no offense, not like people who work at chef. <laughs> um, there is technology people, there's teachers, all sorts of things. Um, and it just talks about what they use on their day-to-day setup, like to do work. Um, so you get a lot of different perspective on hardware and software and people's takes on that and what their dream setup would be. And it's, it's really addictive and there's tons of backlog of it and they shoot out a couple of weeks. So you'll find yourself like deep in the, in the trenches. That's cool. Peter, what do you got? Uh, before job interviews, I read, uh, Dr. Zeus's tongue twister book, Fox and Socks, because it makes me feel as though whatever they throw at me, even if I don't know the answer to the question, I can answer it without, uh, tripping over my own tongue. Um, another old book in this area is, um, 
if you find it on a bargain bookshelf someplace, is Chad Fowler's My Job Went to India and All I Got Was This Lousy Book. Uh, some good career advice, particularly to a point earlier. Even though your job does end at five, you do have to think about what happens when that job disappears and you actually have some responsibility to con- do continuing career development on your own time. And then since I was confused about the time that this was happening, I, for- I can't remember what my own cool things are. So I asked my son and he said, oh, check out Infinite Jukebox, uh, which will take any song that you upload analyze the beat and melody structure and then jump to another place in that same song that it between a bridge or um, uh, a refrain so it just keeps on playing forever in a slightly different pattern every time cool bridget well since i don't feel like peter said enough about it i just have to tell everyone that they have to check out 18f and um, not just, uh, you know, Google 18F, whatever, but you can actually go to github.com slash 18F and you can see the work that they're doing with our tax dollars um, if you're paying U.S. taxes. Uh, doing amazing work all out in the open. Um, things like uh, compliance masonry, which is to say if you need 4,000 pages worth of, you know, FedRAMP and FISMA and God only knows what in order to put an app out there for government, uh, they're putting YAML together with all, I know YAML, ugh, whatever, but they're putting YAML together with all of the um, like detail of how they're making sure to be compliant with something. And that way, if anyone else from government wants to use it, they can see diffs and they can build on it. And just like in general, put applications out there that have um, stood on the shoulders of what everyone else is doing, as opposed to wasting a lot of time reinventing. And this is totally not a Cloud Foundry plug, though, because the compliance masonry stuff that they're doing is kind of orthogonal to that. They are using the open source tech that I do tech advocacy for at Pivotal. Um, they're not paying us. They're just using open source, which is awesome. And um, basically, everyone should just be looking at 18F all the time because they're great. I'm, like, bouncing. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited, too. Thanks. You said that much better than I could have. <laughs> Um, and then I guess two other things I would tell people to check out are, I was just at Monodorama, which is an awesome conference and Jill gave a really good ignite or like lightning talk, I guess at Monodorama. And, um, so I will have a link in the show notes. Like they aren't, I don't think the talks are carved up and posted as individual talks yet, but it was good enough that I totally went and found the live stream and like bookmarked the exact place on YouTube. So you can go right to her talk. Um, so yeah, you should definitely check that out. And it, like her, her ignite was basically all about Taylor Swift and also being in tech and being yourself. So I don't know. Like, am I explaining that right, Jill? Yeah, that's a, that's a great job. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> so yeah, so everyone should watch that. And also, like, the third thing is um, I didn't really talk about it a lot while we were doing the episode, but I was thinking the whole time that making sure that you have a decent record of the stuff that you've done in the world, whether or not it's on GitHub, um, because not everything is on GitHub or suitable to GitHub necessarily. Disclaimer, this is uh, a plug for like the way I do my own website, which is actually GitHub pages. So it is on GitHub. But um, like if you speak at a meetup or you speak at a conference or you write a guest blog post for somewhere or you appear on a podcast, yes, this one, like, you should make a record of the fact you did that and make a link to that artifact that exists in the world. You know, post your slides or put a link to the podcast episode that you're on when they get the page up. 
or, or, you know, anything like that and have all of that on a website that's branded with your name. And that way you can easily show people like it's great, you know, for your Google ability. And also like when somebody says, well, we would love to have you speak. What, what would you want to speak about? You can just give them a link to like your slash speaking. And it has like everything that you've been doing and it doesn't have to be a lot of everything, but just those couple of things that you've done that you really want to show people it's, I think it's really important because no one else is going to do this for you to like curate the content that you're producing and make sure it's available in an easily digestible format. I completely stole uh, that from Bridget, like as a doing now, I am, um, if you were to go to my website and look at my slash speaking, it's like a year out of date because it's a bunch of work to do. Uh, I'll post in the show notes. I gave an ignite at DevOps days Detroit last year that shamelessly, well, not shamelessly, I actually give Bridget credit, but talk about that that's a really great idea. So you may get some ideas from that. Um, so I only have one checkout. It's uh, a little topical since we just had the season finale of Game of Thrones um, recently, but it's called Arrested Westeros. So it's at arrestedwesteros.com. And what they do is take screenshots from Game of Thrones and layer Arrested Development. Uh, quotes over it <laughs> and it's super funny so arrestedwestrose.com check it out take us home trevor well so mine's pr- i also only have one um there's a there's a really awesome doom e1 m1 cover that's a, if you're not familiar with with the game that's the the first level of the original game it was a really epic soundtrack that the, somebody did a really cool cover for of it for the release of the new doom game which is also coincidentally a lot of fun Awesome. Uh, If you'd like to dig a little deeper into some of the things we discussed today, the Library of Congress does not recommend, because they've never heard of us, uh, these past episodes, uh, arresteddevops.com slash personal dash brand and arresteddevops.com slash career dash devops. Talk about some upcoming community and event stuff. If you have an upcoming conference you'd like to see promoted on ADO, you can fill out the handy form at arresteddevops.com slash conf, C-O-N-F, and uh, I will try to remember to put it into our show notes in upcoming episodes. But a couple things to know. Uh, any upcoming DevOps days, give a try to use the code ADO2016. It should get you 20% off. Uh, DevOps Days Minneapolis is July 20th through 21st. Uh, go hang out with Bridget and I don't know who else. Not me, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're not me, like, either, almost, sadly. We're almost sold out, so we're probably closing registration, but next okay. week, so possibly before people even get a chance to hear this episode. I guess it depends on how fast we are at editing. That's true. Do you guys uh, live stream? Uh, we will have a live stream. Okay, yes. so live, watch the live stream. I will be doing that. Uh, DevOps Day Chicago is August 30th and 31st, and uh, one of our speakers is going to be Jill. So we haven't published our schedule yet, but by the time this is uh, released, we should have. And if not, at least you know that Jill will be speaking. And we're super excited about that. Uh, we've got a couple upcoming CFPs. New York's closes July 15th, which is like next week, but this should be up by then. Uh, Singapore closes August 15th. Detroit, August 31st. Uh, Baltimore is a new city this year. Uh, is Nashville new this year? Nashville is new this year. I noticed I have a friend in Nashville. And so I was like, I wonder if there's a DevOps days near you. And then I looked and there mm-hmm. is. So that's Yep. Cool. They're spinning one up too. It's really exciting. Yeah. Go to devopsdays.org and you can see all of the city's current, past, present, future. And if anything doesn't work, you can just blame me on the site because there's things broken that I need to fix. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to order up some Arrested DevOps stickers to make your laptop awesome, 
go to arrestedevops.com slash stickers. And uh, yeah, and I know that works. I just created that link during this episode. And if you want to help support ADO even more, if you go to patreon.com slash arrested, patreon.com slash arrested devops, uh, you can uh, set yourself up for some cool Patreon only rewards. And that's fun. So cool. Um, so yeah, remember we have a newsletter, arresteddevops.com slash banana stand. It's the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. Thanks to our sponsors. Please be sure to visit them at arresteddevops.com slash 10th magnitude and arresteddevops.com slash hired. We'd also appreciate it if you'd visit arresteddevops.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. We'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Please leave us comments at arresteddevops.com slash career dash ops. Uh, and thanks, Jill and Peter, for for joining us tonight. Um, I'm ad-libbing this because it's usually in the script, and I just now realize it isn't, but I know I usually say it right around now. So thank you. My pleasure. It was great hanging out with you all. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Cool. Uh, we're on Twitter at Arrested DevOps and other social networks on some type of Arrested DevOps format, so find us or something. Let us know if you have ideas for a future episode like Peter did, and he was on the show. Awesome. So I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. I'm Bridget at Bridget Crumhut. And I'm Trevor at Trevor G. Hess. We're Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stick.